That's a good truth there, isn't it? Amen. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, it's good to just be reminded of some truths in song that we've been able to enjoy this evening. It's been an encouragement to sing those songs and just to have those words minister to us. Lord, I pray now that as we enter into this time of of looking into your word, I pray that you'd use it to be a help, that it would be an encouragement, and Lord, that it might be a challenge to us tonight as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I'd like to begin with a cliche that I have probably referenced in the past. It is one that all of us are familiar with, I'm certain. The cliche would be this, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. We've all heard that, have we not? That if it, whatever it is, seems or sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And in many situations of life, that cliche rings true. There are many instances, there are many scenarios or examples where things have sounded wonderful, they have sounded spectacular, they have sounded amazing, and then when you begin to look at what it was really like, when you began to really examine it more closely, you realized it was not at all what it was promoted to be. That being the case, I think we would have to agree with this, that sometimes, even though it sounds too good to be true, it really is true. You would agree with that, would you not? That, that, that this may sound too good to be true. This may seem too good to be true, but in all actuality, it is really that good. It really is that true. Say, what are you talking about? Well, how many of us have ever seen those stories on the internet where, where someone was walking to work and somebody learned their story, and as a result of learning this person's story, this individual went out and bought this other person a car and presented it to them and said, here's the keys to your car, we're going to pay the insurance for a year, and we just wanted to do this to be nice. We, we've read those stories or we've heard those stories, right? I, I think if you were talking to that person who was the recipient of the gift, they might say something like this, it just seems too good to be true but it is. They gave me the keys. They gave me the title. They've paid for the insurance. It is an amazing story, and it seems too good to be true, but it is true. Every once in a while, you may hear a story like this, that they received a bonus that they were not expecting at work or some kind of a gift. It's something that blows them away. It's something that overwhelms them. They say something like this, pinch me. It just doesn't seem possible. It's too good to be true, and yet it's true. So we understand the cliche. We understand that a lot of times things do not live up to the hype. Things do not live up to what they're thought to be or promoted to be. And yet sometimes it is everything it's been made out to be. So holding on to that, I want us to shift gears a little bit this evening. And I want us to think about something before we get to the text. As we just sang tonight, Brother Mike, not knowing what I was going to be preaching about, we just sang that Jesus is our friend, did we not? And I hope that we believe that, that Jesus is our friend, that Jesus is someone who is aware of us and who is mindful of us, that we are not creatures just walking on this earth without any real awareness by God that we exist. I trust that all of us are of the opinion that God is aware of us and what is going on in our lives. 
So if that is true, and I believe it to be true, I want us to consider this question. Does God love us more than we could begin to imagine? The answer to that is yes. As much as you and I may think we understand love, our understanding of love does not begin to compare with God's understanding and display of love in a person's life. So with that being said, let me ask us a couple of more questions and then we'll make our way to the text. I want us to think about this. And and before you answer this question, either out loud or in your heart, let me just say this. Be careful as to how you answer because we will be coming back to this in just a little bit. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Knowing that God loves us or, or saying that we believe that God loves us, my question now is this. Does God desire our best in our lives? Not from us, but does God desire what is best for us on our behalf? I would say to you tonight that the answer is yes, that God does desire what is best for my life and for your lives. That does not mean that God is worried about our wealth or our overall net worth. God wanting what is best for us does not mean that we are going to be rich. It does not mean that we'll always be the boss and we'll always be the one in charge. It doesn't mean that we'll always get the closest parking space to the, to the store. That's not what God is concerned about. God is concerned about things in the, in the bigger picture, things that are of far more value than how much money we have or what title we hold or things of that nature. What does God want for me, and what does God want for you? Well, I could say it like this. God wants me, and God wants those of you who are married to have the absolute best marriage we could possibly have. God does not just want us to have a decent marriage. God doesn't just want us to have an okay marriage. God doesn't want us to just have a marriage that exists in form but not really in function. No, God wants us to have the best marriage we can have. For those of us who are raising kids, those of us who are in that process, I think we could say this, that God wants us to raise children in such a way that they will grow up and love and serve the Lord with all their hearts. That's what God wants for us to be able to train them in the way they should go. I think God, because of his love for us, wants what is best for us when it comes to our stewardship of what he has entrusted us with. Again, that doesn't mean that God is worried about making us rich and giving us all these things, but God is interested in you and I being good stewards of what he has entrusted us with. I think God is interested and wants from us what is best for us in our spiritual lives. The decisions that we would make from a spiritual perspective, God wants what is best for us. God wants what is best for us as it relates to our careers, our professions, our line of work. So I want us to see this, and I could go on. I trust you realize this. God wants what is best for us 
in all areas of life, though that does not mean he just wants us to be healthy and wealthy and wise, the old name it and claim it approach prosperity gospel that we hear so much about. So if that's the case, if God desires for us to enjoy and to have what is best for us, then answer this question, and again, be careful in how you answer it in your heart and mind. Would God then ever do anything intentionally to hurt us? Is God looking to hurt us? My answer that I would present to you tonight would be this, that God is never trying to hurt us. That does not mean that God will not allow us to go through some difficult times. God will allow us to go through some difficult times. But God is never seeking out an opportunity for us to be hurt. Let me just illustrate this. God is never orchestrating things in such a way that it will be a hindrance to mine and Susie's marriage. He is always working in such a way that our marriage will be made better, not worse. God is never working in a way that it would hurt our children and their walk with the Lord. Everything that God is doing is in an effort to help our children in their walk with the Lord and how we can promote that in their lives. That's what God is concerned about. God does not want us to be wealthy necessarily, but he doesn't want us to be miserably strapped in in our cash or in our finances. Again, he wants us to be good stewards and to do okay. God certainly is not looking to hurt us in our spiritual lives. That would be ridiculous to suggest such a thing. God is not looking to hurt us by way of career, by way of profession, by way of line of work. I want us to see this. God loves us more than we could begin to understand. And because of his love for us, he wants us to do well. He wants us to to prosper in areas of life that actually matter. Not what the world tells us matters. And God would never do anything to hurt us. That is not how God operates. That is not how God functions. Somebody says, all right, well, what has that got to do with the scripture? Well, turn tonight, if you would, to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9 is where we're going to be this evening, and I know that some of you know what I'm about to share with us, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So as you find your way to Joshua chapter 9, let me just review a few things with you that, that, that we need to be aware of, that we need to know. And, and first, I want to remind us that by the time we come to the book of Joshua, Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. Moses has passed away, and God has brought Joshua into this position of being the leader of the children of Israel. As Joshua is the, child, as Joshua is the leader of the children of Israel, let's remember this as well, 
that he is one of only two people in all the nation of Israel who is over the age of 60. That's something to think about if you, if you give attention to it. Out of a couple million Jews that have been walking around in the wilderness for the last 40 years, because of God's judgment on the people of Israel, everyone who was under the age of 20, prior to the spies going into the land the first time, they all died in the wilderness for their lack of faith, all those over the age of 20, I don't know if I said that right or not, but all those over the age of 20 died eventually in the wilderness. So Joshua and Caleb were the only two over the age of 60 that entered into the promised land. As they entered into the promised land, here is the command that God gave Joshua and the people of Israel. Drive out the inhabitants. It's that simple, drive out the inhabitants of the land. If you're met with resistance, if you're met with opposition, the children of Israel were supposed to use deadly force. That might be offensive to some, but that's between you and God, and that doesn't change the story. All right, so what happens when the children of Israel cross over and and begin to enter into the promised land? Well, they, they have this little situation with the city of Jericho, do they not? And in that situation with the people of Jericho, the city of Jericho, here's what we know, is that God worked in an amazing way, causing the walls to collapse, causing the people of Jericho essentially to kill themselves, and all the people of Israel had to do was stand back and watch it. The only survivors from Jericho were Rahab and the family members that assembled in her home. That was an amazing victory on the part of God on behalf of the children of Israel. So after that, where did the children of Israel go? Well, to this much smaller town or city by the name of Ai. You may remember that there were some issues there because of the sin of Achan. But once that was addressed and once that was taken care of, what happened? The people of Israel decimated, destroyed, annihilated the people of Ai. So what happened? News began to spread. The Jews are present. They're being victorious in the battles. They're wiping nations out or cities out. And they knew that Israel would soon be on their own front porch so to speak. So as we come to Joshua chapter 9, we've got some leaders of some different areas who have heard of what's gone on and what's happened and what's taken place. And some in particular decide they need to come up with a plan to save their own hide. So it says in verse number 3, it says, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho, and to Ai, they did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and, and, and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry 
and moldy. So what did these people do? They gave the appearance that their clothes were old, that their clothes were worn, that their food was old because of this journey that they had been on. And it says in verse number six, and they went to Joshua unto the camp of Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we be come from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. So what are these people of Gibeon doing? They are asking Joshua and the leaders of the people of Israel to make a league or a treaty with them that would spare their lives in exchange for this this reality that they would be their servants. So if we jump down to verse number 15, here's what it says. It says, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them. So this is on Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel. It says, He made peace with them, made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. So what did Israel do? They went into this binding agreement that they would let them live. They were not going to destroy them. So notice in verse number 16 what it says. It says, And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. So three days after this treaty has been signed, three days after this treaty has been, has been agreed upon and the leaders of Israel have sworn to uphold this, what did Joshua and the leaders find out? They found out that these people were not at all what they presented themselves to be. They were not really from a far country. They were not really from a distant land. No, these were actually neighbors in the land, people that Israel should have driven out of the land and destroyed and annihilated. But now, after the fact, Joshua and the others realize we have entered into an agreement that we should not have entered into. And here is what cannot be denied. It would serve as nothing less than a hindrance to the people of Israel. They were not supposed to be in the land. So these are people who were not supposed to be in the land, but guess what? They would be allowed to remain in the land because of this treaty that was made. So I know that most of you know this, but I want us to think about this. How did such a mistake get made? By Joshua, by the leaders of the people of Israel, how did such a mistake that would cost them for years to come How did such a mistake get made? We know this, many of us do, that the answer is found in verse number 14. It says, And the men took up their victuals, their food, their supplies, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Here is why Israel, here is why Joshua and the leaders of Israel made the mistake they made and found themselves now in the position they found themselves in because they failed to take the matter to the Lord. The scripture is clear 
that they asked not counsel of the mouth of the Lord. Here is what Joshua and however many other leaders were present in this, in this agreement. Here is what they failed to do. They failed to seek the mind of God in the matter. Think about this. All along, God knew who these ambassadors from Gibeon really were. God was not ignorant as to who they were. God saw the big picture. God saw the whole scenario. So I want us to see this, that as they came to Joshua and the leaders, had Joshua and the leaders taken the matter to the Lord, you know what the Lord would have done because of his love for Israel? He would have said, don't sign the treaty. This is not in your best interest. This is not going to help. This is going to be a hindrance. This is going to hurt you. Had they been willing to take it to the Lord, they would not have found themselves in this position. But because they didn't do so, they're now dealing with the consequences of it long term. So as you think about that, it prompts in my mind this question. Why didn't they pray and seek the mind of God? They weren't ignorant as to who God was. They were aware of God's provision and God's leadership in their lives. In the past, why didn't they pray? Why didn't they seek to know the mind of God? Only assumptions can be made, but you have to assume things like this. They must have thought they, were, they knew what they were doing, and they didn't really need to seek the mind of God. You know, I, I, I'm the old man. I'm the veteran, Joshua may have been able to say. I think I know what I'm doing. I, I've got a pretty good feel on who these people are. I, I, I've got a pretty good vibe on, on who they are. And, and because of that, I think I know what I'm doing. And so therefore, I don't need to pray about it. Maybe the assumption or maybe the, the, the reason behind it was this. Maybe they felt like they were in a bind and had to hurry and make a decision. You know, these people have traveled all this distance in their minds and they've come with this story and they've come with this, this, this offer as to what they're willing to do and, and, and we need to make a decision. So guys, what do you think? Let's, let's make a decision. Let's, let, let's do so quickly. And, and they did without praying and asking the Lord. Whatever it was that prompted this, caused them to make a very important decision without prayer. And it cost them, not only in that moment, but it would continue to cost them for many months and years afterwards. So this evening, as you think about that, I want us to think about something else. Just see if this makes sense. 
see if this seems applicable to our lives. How many of us have ever made decisions that at the moment seemed right, only to learn three days, three weeks, or three months later that wasn't the best decision we could have made? We've all been there, haven't we? We've made decisions in relationships that we thought made sense. We, we thought we knew what we were doing. This seemed right. This seemed like the, 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 the best option for the moment. And so in that relationship, we made a decision and it seemed right. Only to realize later, that was not a good decision on our part. How many of us have ever made decisions with money? That seemed right at the time, sure seemed best at the time, and, 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 and it, it just made sense only to realize later, whew, that one hurt, and that'll hurt for the next 60 months. Right? How many of us have ever made career choices that just seemed like the right thing to do, it just seemed like the logical thing to do, and, and then after making it, we say to ourselves, boy, that, that, that's, that's not what I probably should have done. We ever been there? Now, obviously, I could go on tonight trying to find that area of your life where you've made a mistake and, and you've done something that you thought seemed right at the time that, that you later learned wasn't. I could keep going until I... I got something that you said, okay, I'm guilty of that. But tonight, you can think of that on your own, can't you? You may not need my help to fill in all the blanks. But I want us to consider something. Again, this goes back to how you answered the questions earlier. And what I'd like us to consider is this. Why did we make a decision that we later realized was actually a hurt and a hindrance to us? Why did we make that decision that, that didn't turn out as well for us as we, as we assumed it would? How did that all come about? Here's the answer. We didn't pray about it like we should have. Somebody says, that's, uh, that's not true. That's not, that's not true at all. I absolutely prayed about it. Not enough then. Well, well, Brother Kyle, how could you possibly say that? Well, no, I didn't say it. You said it. See, you said a moment ago that God loves you so much that God wants your best interest in mind. Or he has your best interest in mind and he wants what is best for you. And that God would never do anything to hurt you. So if you and I have made decisions, which we have, that have actually hurt us, they were not a help to us then the only way that we got into that position was because we did not seek the mind of God thoroughly before we acted upon the situation we were presented with. 
Brother Kyle, how could you possibly say such a thing? Because just as God knew who the men of Gibeon were, and just as God knew the whole picture and saw the greater picture for them, guess what? God also sees the big picture for our lives. So here is what God knows long before we know it as to whether or not this decision that we're making is going to help us or hurt us and a God who would never intentionally hurt us if we would take it to the Lord properly, we would not have made the mistake we made. The reason I've made mistakes that have hurt me and the reason that you have made mistakes that have hurt you is because we did not pray about it like we should have. So tonight I want to share something with us. And here's what I know could be said by some. Well, Brother Kyle, that's just too good to be true. Brother Kyle, there, there, there's just no way that that's possible. I, I want to share with us tonight, no, it's not too good to be true. It is absolutely 100% possible for this to be true. So what is it? It is this. You and I do not have to make decisions that we will one day later regret. Now that received less support than what I thought it was going to, but it doesn't change the truth of it. Think about this for just a moment. I and you, we don't have to make decisions that we later regret. Imagine the foolishness of the flip side of that to say, no, no, every once in a while I got to do something really dumb. No, we don't. I mean, if we don't believe that we don't have to do things that we'll later regret, we are suggesting that we have to, no matter how we approach the decisions of life. I'm here to remind us tonight, and I'm here to remind myself, I don't have to make dumb, poor decisions that I'll later regret. That just sounds too good to be true. Maybe so, but it's true. So how can we get to this place where we make decisions that we don't later regret them? Well, obviously, we need to be reminded of this. That no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in, we still don't know all the answers to life's questions. Brother Kyle, I'm 45 years old. Good for you. You need help every once in a while. Brother Kyle, I'm 65 years old, and you still have some things that you don't know. We need to be reminded that we're not smart enough to get through this, all of it on our own, without making some serious mistakes. So if I want to avoid those mistakes that are going to hurt me and cause me pain in the future, I better remember today and tomorrow and the day after that and everyone after that, 
that I don't know everything, and before I act, I better know the mind of God. How else does this take place if it's going to be true? What, what else do we have to do? We have to pray in patience, oftentimes. Why do we have to pray in patience? Because many times we're impatient. We want to be able to pray once or twice and say, well, I prayed about it. That's not the way it works. You know as well as I do, if we're honest, sometimes we pray and God doesn't give an immediate answer. And when God doesn't give an immediate answer and he's in a holding pattern, you know what we need to find ourselves in? A holding pattern. Until God gives the green light, we don't need to move. And if God puts up a red light, we need to stop. I'm just saying this. Whenever we pray, we need to be patient and not act like we've got to hurry up and act or, or something is going to go terribly wrong. No, oftentimes it's when we hurry up and act that things go terribly wrong. So in order to be able to go through life and not make mistakes that we are going to regret, we got to remember we don't know everything. And we've got to be patient. And then we've got to be willing to pray this way. Not my will. But Lord, ultimately, because you want what's better for me, even more than I want what's better for me. Lord, it's not about my will. I want to yield myself to your will. I know this has happened if we've ever spent time in prayer. We've wanted something. We've wanted whatever it is, and we've gone to God in prayer. And, and we tried to be honest in our approach to God, and in doing so, God said no. It's kind of painful, isn't it? How many of us have ever been told, and we said, that's all right, I'll go right ahead and do it myself? We've done it, and if we've done it, we've gotten ourselves into a mess. But see, whenever we go to God and we say, okay, God, here's what I want. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you because you know my heart already. Here's what I want, but Lord, I want to yield myself to you. There will be times that God will say, no, not right now. And here's what I think most of us would say is that at some point in the future, we realize what God was accomplishing in that big picture. And we've thought to ourselves, my goodness, what a mess I would have made if I had gotten what I thought I wanted. I don't have to make dumb mistakes in my life that'll hurt me, and you don't either. I want us to be reminded of this but we've got to admit we don't know everything. We've got to be patient when we go to the Lord, waiting on his leadership. And sometimes we have to be willing to change our will to line up with his will. Now, every one of us know everything that I've just preached tonight. There is not one of you tonight saying to yourself, I had no idea I was supposed to pray. Please tell me you already knew that. All right, you knew that. Let me ask you something. 
If we had to be honest, how many of us would have to admit that sometimes we get careless and we still find ourselves making decisions without going and knowing the mind of God in the matter before we act? Oh, I know what I'm doing here. Oh, I can afford that. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Oh, sure, sure, my, my family can do that. Yeah, 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 we can do that. Isn't it easy to know that we ought to pray? To be patient in our prayers? And isn't it easy to even say, amen, I know I'm going to have to change my will from time to time to line up with his? We know that that's what we're supposed to say. And yet, how many times do we still act like Joshua and the leaders and make serious, serious decisions without really consulting the mind of God. I just want to remind us tonight, not preaching at you, not getting on to you, I just want to remind us tonight that every time we make a decision without consulting the mind of God, we are opening ourselves up to some serious pain to some serious frustration that could last a really long time. It is easy to stop praying because we know. I just want to remind us, we have got to be people of prayer if we want to avoid so many bad decisions that we're prone to make. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be reminded that we don't have to make bad decisions and poor decisions for our lives. It doesn't matter if we're talking about relationships, if we're talking about our children. It doesn't matter if we're talking about career, our finances, spiritual lives, whatever it is. We don't have to make bad decisions. But that's usually what's going to happen when we don't consult you first. God, I think if we're honest, most of us can identify with that tendency to just do what seems right to us in the moment without consulting you. I pray that you'd help us to be honest before you tonight and to, to maybe be a little bit more sensitive to this in the days to come. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.